1: On DAB Digital Radio and 1089 and 1053 AM, Hawksby and Jacobs on
2: Talk sport This is Paul Hawksby. And Andy Jacobs. And welcome once again to the H&J Daily. Just some of the best bits of this afternoon show. We had a lot of guests in today. Out among them, Louise Minchin. You'll know her from uh, BBC Breakfast, of course. Uh, but she's also written a fantastic book. Uh, on her time as a triathlete, she's a Team GB triathlete. Who knew? I didn't know. We she's said a lovely lady, her. wasn't she? Very nice person. Yeah. So uh, she was on good form. Uh, you'll also hear from Mark Nicholas, former cricketer, turned broadcaster and uh, author, uh, Tom Williams,
3: who's written a very interesting book about yeah. book the language the, of the the language of football around the world. A brilliantly well received. Yeah, the, you'll book.
2: kind of get the Uruguayan equivalents of uh, a wet Wednesday night in Stoke, etc. It's a great read. <laughs> we do recommend it. So, and we had a bit of a chat as well about yeah. last night. So here it all is. This is Paul Hawksman Annie Jacobs here on Talksport. We just and till four. Weather this afternoon, here and there from Simon. That it all kicked off, it all got a bit physical in the face-off between David Hay, Tony Bellew. I'm sure the cynic in you thinks yeah, it's a few more The boys, the boys had said. <laughs> Have pay-per-few looking, Eddie. Um, well, it's good, you know, they'd always be better. Yeah, <laughs> just leave it to us. <laughs> leave it to us. Anyway, Andy, what's coming up? Coming up uh, over the next three hours,
3: would VAR have made a difference last night? Liverpool's money ball examined and cricketer-turned
2: broadcaster Mark Nicholas makes a welcome return to the studio. He certainly does. We'll take your calls, emails, texts and tweets. And the Breakfast TV's Louise Minchin is here to tell us how she became a Team GB triathlon. There's all this plus countdowns of Rachel Riley pops in. Yeah. All guests
3: today. We'll, well learn yes. the
2: global language of football and we'll talk both Atletico and Real Madrid. We certainly will Terry Gibson joins us a little bit later on, um at about live football tonight and of course the Champions League final, which we'll of course be touching on throughout the next three hours. But it is six minutes past one. Good afternoon everyone. Good afternoon. Matt. Yeah, good afternoon Paul. It was a it was a good <coughs> game, wasn't it? You know, yeah, a
3: lot was- of a lot of people bemoan the defending and saying, well, you know, it's Champions League semi-final defending should be better that's probably true but still exciting wasn't
2: it? It certainly was I mean after yesterday's caller telling us that uh, he didn't watch last week's game um, I think he said he was watching Kavanagh QC instead yeah. so <laughs> you did, So yeah. I was very tempted to turn over at Kavanaugh QC when Liverpool scored and were so on top and they just mm. looked ripe for the taking didn't they Roma but they got mm. their way back into it and it, it was a a little bit nervy at the end. Um a
3: little bit, yeah. But and then they, and they got a touch lucky, but you know, you need that, don't you, if you're gonna get through. So yeah. you know, fair enough. they maybe the decision, two ties yeah. they deserved to
2: go through. No, it. They absolutely did. And we'll talk to Grand Paul about it he was working for BT last night, but we'll look at some of the calls. There was definitely a make up decision there by the ref. We've seen yeah. some terrible errors in the Champions
3: League this year. Nangler, what was he doing? I know. Honestly, and then the night before that one and we've seen really some poor play in this year's Champions League.
2: Where he League. struck what? that what? from, Nangler the one that went in off the post towards yeah. the was very sure. similar. You remember when we saw him um, for uh, Belgium, Belgium against Sweden when oh, yeah. he scored that goal, the only yeah, goal know, he's, of the game. He's a good player, yeah. yes. Yeah. Uh, Robertson's a good player. What a run that was,
3: you know. And yeah. I always knew he was good when he played for Hull. But that's why I wanted to talk about Moneyball today because I think that's Moneyball at its best. They just looked at this player. They didn't look at the fact that he played for Hull. They didn't look at the fact that he only cost ten million. They just saw a player that fitted
2: what they needed, and that is didn't, the essence it didn't, of it. it. Didn't I mean? As soon as I saw him playing ball, when he when I he, used to. Think when he, great, yeah. he came down from Scotland, and I yeah. thought, what? I'd, I'd love to have him in the team. You, could, you know, just needed eyes. And But, you yeah. know, sometimes he, sometimes you,
3: your gut feels good. Other times, you know, with Salah, who knew Salah was going to be like this world-class player? I knew he had skills, but not, yeah. you know, I think you'd be a liar if but, you said... As a Chelsea fan, oh, I knew he was going to go on and do this. No, I
2: mean, you, you, you I mean to be fair, when he was playing, you felt he needed more chances and he wasn't getting De enough of a looking. Different and you kept saying he was different. trying too hard. He yeah, got he so few chances whenever he did play for Chelsea. Yeah, he did. He overdid it. He yeah. did. In fact, he wasn't great last night.
3: And uh, <laughs> isn't it funny how you called him this? I've written here brilliant by T. Trent Darby to avoid, and I wasn't even thinking about it. You just can't help <laughs> calling it. Trent Darby. You just can't help calling it. Yeah. It my notes. But uh, it was good at the end when they had uh, all three guests were very, very good on what it's like to play and win in a European Cup or Champions League yeah. final. Rio, Frank and Stephen Gerrard. It's lucky Glenn didn't join Yeah, it would have <laughs> been a bit, it would've would've been
2: been a bit big, <laughs> difficult, yeah. We had a spell in the first division, <laughs> really, the old first, well, the new mm-hmm. first division, the old second division. Under, spell. But it was good. And I did send you a clip of
3: Gary Lineker because Gary Lineker is such a brilliant presenter that when he makes a mistake you, you think to yourself... Has he made a mistake there, or is that is that meant to be a joke? Is that one of his, you know, like quite clever? Because he he called he said he said we we told you a statistic that Liverpool score in bursts of three goals so it was Mane Milner and Mignoalum
2: <laughs> and it, it wasn't he struggled all night with Mignaldum, Mignaldum, Wynalum he struggled all night with that I don't
3: know what happened there but yeah. never mind you know he is very very good. Uh, What else have I got here? Credit to Roma, I've said. Oh, yes, and the fact that, yeah, I said to Jim, they didn't kill Frank Lampard to say it, but he had to concede They really have built a decent team, Liverpool, and they're they're on the verge of something quite exciting there, I think. Yeah. And I said to you, I think they've been almost as good as City since the turn of the year. Van Dijk, he makes such a difference. Even in the first two minutes last night, he made two clearances, where he just laid down his authority, you know. He's he's a very, very good signing for them.
2: He certainly is. So uh, we will be covering that in a bit more detail over the next couple of hours. We will chat to the guy, the good people at StatsBomb, uh, and look at the kind of moneyball mm. approach to an extent. I mean, I made a couple of points to you that I'll bring up with uh, Ted from StatsBomb. That you know, it's it's mm. it's not all bargain buys, is it? You know, they've spent a lot of money in in, in certain no, areas. No,
3: but it, but still moneyball. Sell one player for 142. Yeah.
2: Buy another top player that you need in an area you need mm.
3: for 75. So you get rid of a player that you, you in effect, you didn't need. Because you have always really talked about it much since, have You know, they? how clever that is, you know. And um, my f- other final note, uh, Cengiz Under, who came on for yeah. uh, Roma. I don't know if you know this, but his dad used to play rugby league. He's known as For Goodness sake, the birthday spread's back. <laughs> it is. I've got a T20 birthday spread today. Good. But I've got two, because oh, I, I had one from
2: the other day. So I might, I might well do them. Oh, I look forward to that. OK. Anything else? What, now? Well, yeah, I don't mind if you've got anything else now. No, you I, may the have trouble is my it. notes
3: haven't come through, which is always a bit annoying. So you're going
2: to do this off the top of your head? Aren't well, you? I'm having to sort of sort it through. It's never quite the same. So, uh, no, let's move on. Were you ever tempted to turn over last night? I've got to be honest, as I said, Liverpool so dominant. I thought, you know, I felt a, a duty to stick with it because here we are talking about it today. Mm. But I just felt it was going to be a bit of a procession. But I was quite surprised. I mean, mm. I didn't. No, I stuck with it. But, I, I
3: didn't, because you just felt there were, there were goals in it. You just felt that Dzeko's a good player. Isn't he? I think he's got better since he left City. You know, it was a shame for Chelsea that they didn't get him. Again, that's that typical thing, yeah. Offer 30 or 35, you, the club want 40. Mm. Why? Surely mm. it's better to play 40... For for Dzeko, rather than pay twenty three for Emerson and never play him, you might as well have just given them the right money for Jako and then decide whether you needed Emerson or not. You know, you, yeah. I just think some of the stuff they do, Chelsea, the opposite of money ball. They're just stupid ball, in my idea. Some of the stuff
2: they <laughs> do is stupid ball. The opposite of money ball. It,
3: it is. It's basically don't use the you talents given that you've much got. Thought don't spend it. the money in the right way.
2: You know, yeah. Andy Jacobs' new book, Stupid Ball, <laughs> out of waste. <laughs> Copious amounts of money on footballers that aren't very good. Exactly. Um, yeah, now, um, some of the West Ham travelling fans who are going to the Leicester game, um, they may, I don't think they're going to have to give up their seats for Karen Brady and the two Davids, but have you seen that there's still bad blood? Do you, do you blood? remember this? I don't yeah. know. This story. Was in, I think it was, in, uh, wasn't it was Karen, in her column. It was in her column in the Sun, yeah, Karen Brady's column. She'd made a comment that she'd seen the owner of Leicester spending a lot of money on wine. on 500,000, yeah. apparently, was having a paper this
3: morning. He was having a big, big spend-up. Uh, well, but I don't think, you know, the two things aren't linked. He didn't fire Claudia Ranieri and then go, oh, I'm so happy I'm going to spend 500 grand on wine. No. Presumably he was buying the wine
2: anyway. I think she was making the point that Ranieri was hard done by him. What do you have to do to keep your job these days? And uh, then sort of allied at the fact she'd seen him in in London's busy West End spend half a million quid on wine, which is his prerogative. His
3: prerogative, and I can't see the two things are connected, it, it played
2: very badly with Leicester, and the word is yeah. they won't be welcome in the director's box. So mm. uh, it'd be sitting amongst... Give a five-quid the... bottle of wine, that's what I do. <laughs> Sitting amongst all the West Ham away fans, I'm sure they'll get a warm welcome. Oh, well, they're bound to. Sit here, Karen. Yeah, you're right, love. Sit there. Watch <laughs> the guy, I'll talk you through it. Fantastic. <laughs> now that, yeah, that would be marvellous, wouldn't it? Good, yeah, yeah, See let see if you, if you are going to that game, whether you welcome that. Let us know this afternoon. Talksport.com forward slash H&J. Text to 81089. Tweet to TSH&J. But uh, coming up in the first hour, Grand Paul joins us, was on... BT duty last night watching that game unfold and was called upon on quite a few occasions. uh, The Roma camp saying oh if only VAR was there uh, Mm. we would have won that game. Well would they? We'll look at some of the big calls from uh, last night. The referee Andy you tell me has admitted Mm. that he got some stuff wrong. Which would uh, in that game yes, last night, which did, would suggest yeah. that there was a bit of a make-up decision yes, done. According for...
3: to Tancredi, the referee did admit afterwards.
2: Okay. Can I just before we
3: go? Yeah. Uh, wish Peter Jones and his friend they're walking for calm. It's a, to raise awareness and to reduce male suicide. He contacted me. Yeah. They're walking from Fulham to Birmingham tomorrow. So well, the best of luck with that. Yeah.
2: Uh, Paul Hawks Andy Jacobs here on Talk Sports and we will chat to Ted Knutson from Statsbomb later on. We'll look at uh, Liverpool's transfer policy in recent years. And uh, also Tom Williams will be here, journalist and author, to chat about his new book, Do You Speak Football? But before all of that, uh, to chat about her new book, Dare to Try, is a uh, breakfast TV presenter. Uh, and Team GB triathlete, who knew? Uh, exactly I said. Louise Minchin Good you afternoon, should go Louise. on breakfast television
3: to
4: publish it yeah things. that's but right I've giving what? you <laughs> a slot <laughs> thank you very much for letting me talk about it because I'm lo- literally not allowed to talk about not. it on breakfast so cheers guys wow. appreciate it I didn't know this
2: Louise the, the, the guy said uh, take the book home and, uh, yeah. and I, I took it, and I, thought, I had no idea that you, that you had this kind of other life where you were a kind of an athlete, an international athlete.
4: It is a new life for me. Mm. It only started in 2012 when, I don't know if you saw it, but um, we did a Christmas challenge for BBC Breakfast and my, my producer said to me, oh, I can't think of anything to do. And I said, well, why don't we do something inspired by, guess what, the Olympics. Mm-hmm. So she set us off to go to the velodrome in Manchester. Um, I'd never been to a velodrome. I'd never sat on a racing bike. And she said, We're gonna, you're going to race against Bill and Susanna, you and Charlie. It's going to be in front of 4,000 people. And I just thought, Whoa. what? Yeah. Are you crazy? <laughs> yeah. I can't even sit on a racing bike. Um, anyway, we went there and uh, that day was terrifying. And uh, I screamed. Have you ever been to a better No, bedroom? But
3: did you go up on the bank? Yeah. And then no, the I way. did not
4: go up on the bank. The <laughs> bank is very, very steep. I did go up on the bank and slide down on my bottom <laughs> oh, yeah. just to see how, how steep it was. Fair enough, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, we went in that day and uh, Bill Turnbull said, uh, he said a key, th- key thing. He said, um, I can't be beaten by a girl. <laughs> Really? Exactly. (laughs) He did. And I just thought, you know what? Bet you can be. Um, And I raced that day and hadn't done competitive sport for 30 years. And I just absolutely went for it. Uh, Mostly, I think, at the time because I wanted to beat him. But then I beat him and then just it was utterly ridiculously exhilarating endorphins, and i was just like wow mm. i need to race again
2: so you you say that you were quite a decent swimmer when you were young so is that what kind of led you to this idea of maybe using the swimming and the cycling becoming the I, i'd like
4: to say that it was mm. but it wasn't <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> i was a, i was okay swimmer i swam for my i swam, swam for school um and loved it and used to get really incredibly nervous but loved the races um and loved winning um, but one day I gave that up because I thought, I looked at myself in the mirror, and I'm sh- ashamed to say now, I was 15, and I looked at my shoulders and I saw they were really muscly. Yeah, mm. see? Mm-hmm. And I just thought, I don't like those. I know it's a swimming. And I stopped. It right. was really so that's true regained that's, it? What do you think? You <laughs> you look at that. Yeah. Look at that. With the guns. A, oh, wow. I'm quite pleased with those now. That's, that's true of a, a lot of that. girls.
2: That's a good point, actually. I know you've got, you've yeah. got young daughters. And, you know, the, a lot of girls do give up sport at, for that reason at that age. Which is a great shame.
4: Exactly that age. And um, when I started the triathlon, um, and basically, so what happened? I came out the velodrome. Mm and then thought, I have to race, bought myself a racing bike, fell off loads and loads of times, and then a friend said to me, I've seen you on your racing bike, seen you running, uh, why don't you try triathlon? Mm. But going back to the girl's point, Mm. uh, at the same time um, this friend of mine said she was going to do a triathlon, and I thought, well, I'm going to try too. But I read some research about girls particularly and exactly that, that It's a really key age at teenagers. They give up for all sorts of reasons, but similar to the ones reasons I gave up. And it also said that if you're a mum and you want your daughters to do sport, you have to do it. You mm. can't just let it be the dads because they'll just think, oh, that's a dad's thing to do. Yeah,
2: yeah. You
3: seem very competitive. Would you do a Brownies? if if a relative of yours yes. sort of collapsed? And would you stop and help them, or would you just?
4: Oh no, I definitely stop and help. Oh, you them.
2: would, yeah, no, definitely. When you say, oh no, I think I say, oh no, I'd leave them. <laughs> oh, no.
4: no. <laughs> so, well, I mean, I like racing. Um, I'm not. I don't. I mean, I'd love to win. I don't win very often. But no, I would definitely stop. And it's it is a sport that sport is like that people are incredibly helpful i've had all sorts of people help me on the way and various different places and yeah i would i would generally stop but if they were racing for the line you know, then well, I would give enough. it a go. Mm.
3: Now, what sort of triathlon do you do? Because I remember when triathlon first came out, I think it was a world of sport. It used to be yeah. in Hawaii. It used to be called the Iron Man. Oh, yes. And, and, yeah. and it really was a ridiculous. It was like a 100-mile bike ride and five miles. I can't read the it's,
4: exact uh, sentence, I tell you, was, I do know. I think it's 3.8-kilometer um, swim, 180-kilometer mile uh, kilo, kilometer bike ride, mm. and then a marathon. Yeah. Because I'm doing one.
3: So you're doing the Iron Ironman stroke man. Yeah.
4: Yeah, Patagon wow, eh? Man, it's cool. Why can't they change it to Patagon Woman? Yeah, or Thing. Thing. Yes. <laughs> thing.
2: You say in the book as well. Iron it's, person. It's so man, it iron, the iron person. Yeah, that's a bit weird. The the you, you kind of feel a lot fitter mentally. You feel better. You feel less tired. You said it's been really good sort of, generally for your well-being. Yes.
4: it's changed me um in lots of different ways. So I get up at three thirty in the morning mm. to be on breakfast at six and. Just um, like our breakfast show presenter. Well, oh. he, he gets up at quarter to six. Does he? <laughs> <laughs> he did normally
2: about twenty or past. Today but that's another a, story. he didn't turn up till quarter to seven. Yeah, <laughs> didn't he? No. No. it's, a, it's that's so a long story. story really. <laughs> yeah.
4: You know, I've never, I've never actually missed it yet no. Um, but it no work
3: here you can miss it every day one <laughs> says anything
4: oh no I actually didn't once once i did miss a set of headlines but that was it so i was on by about one minute past <laughs> right. um, no so it's changed me physically as you can see i've got you know got the mm. muscles which mm. i'm now proud of um, i'm really much stronger than i was which is brilliant because you know it means i don't fall over so often um, i can obviously run faster for the bus mm. when i'm a little bit late Um, And mentally, I'm much every single bike ride, every single run, every single swim. I never come back from them feeling worse. I always come back from them a little bit happier, a little mm. bit less stressed. When what? you
3: sorry, Paul. Well, yeah. When you're cycling, are you cycling on the road? Because I, I think I'm concerned. I mean, especially in London, I mm. wouldn't. I wouldn't cycle in London. I think It's too dangerous.
4: I used to cycle in London, and I used to cycle to work in London. And this is how much my life has changed. So now, for fun, I'll go and do a 50k bike ride. <laughs> when I lived in London and was working in Television Centre, it was six miles there and six miles back. I'd cycle the six miles and then put it on the train on the way back. Mm, right. Bad, I blame but. You, though, but um, to a serious point of course and um, and the road you know I get I, I particularly don't like um, cycling in the winter um, in the rain and the cold and all the rest of it and um and there are obviously dangers. So pot I do look. Potholes lo- o- pot yeah. real. Potholes, yes. Cyclists today we face.
2: Yeah,
3: and sadly you? You know somebody who died oh. through this. You know, no, avoiding I mean, a pothole.
4: And it's yes. a very serious point. And I do a lot because of all of the above. Mm. I do a lot of my training on an indoor bike. Um, in ah. front of I play. In fact, I now play a. Virtual reality game
0: on my indoor. This is. Right. I mean, this
4: is extraordinary levels I've reached. Have you got a watt bike? What you I mean? have had a watt bike. I've changed from that now. Have <laughs> yeah. To what is you got? a better a, one? Well, it's called a smart turbo. So really? you put your actual racing. bike And you'll bike. go
2: and buy one. There, he's a bit he's one up. <laughs> are his, you? Are you? <laughs> he'll be straight up. <laughs> Come the on. With his five grand. I'll race oh, you. No. <laughs> I'll
4: race you. Yeah, uh, so you can race. Um, so you attach your own racing bike. You are <laughs> <laughs>
3: Look at me. I'm 65 year old. I'll race you. A yeah, big deal. <laughs> You're <winning. laughs> <laughs> <This is> brilliant,
4: <laughs> but you, so you can race people, and I yeah. again I don't win, mm. uh, but I like I like racing. I'm um, all around the world, so I'll go on a, on the bike at sort of Sunday evening, and there'll be people from I don't know Australia oh, nice or idea. Japan, and mm-hmm. yeah, and you've got your little avatars, so you're cycling along next to each
2: because, other. Because as we said, it's not just you deciding to try do tri- for uh, triathlons yeah. for fun. You, you've represented Great Britain in your age group. So how did that transition happen from just getting into it to someone saying, well, yeah, you know, you could do this uh, well, that, nationally?
4: That's sort of what happened. Mm. So I did my first triathlon. Um, loved it, hated it, cried when I went over the finishing line. I uh, thought, I'm never going to do this again. Two minutes later, I'm definitely going to do this again. Um, so I did a few um, and I did the Brownlees used to have a brilliant triathlon and I did theirs as well. And then I started coming quite high in my age group. So I was like fourth in my age group and I didn't realise being a little bit older is good in triathlon Of course, oh, yeah, stamina, yeah. You, well stamina and also you don't get judged against your age group you get right. judged in five-year age age group so I'm, ah. I'm i'm the 45 to 50s so i don't race the 20 against the 20 year olds and somebody said exactly that they said uh, you're all right at this why do you know if you get, go to a qualifying triathlon and you get a qualifying time you can re- represent G- the gb team in your age group and i thought what an utterly bananas. Brilliant mm. idea. They have an
3: age group Olympics. They do have a sort of... We well, well, saw that, that bloke, veteran stuff, don't we? Well, well, we saw that bloke who was 100 years old,
2: the sprinter. He was tremendous. Yeah. I can see you in the pole vault. I think <laughs> what
4: would you do? <laughs> what,
2: um, so pulling on the old GB uh, oh. vest and stuff and the outfit, the wetsuit. What a feeling that must have been.
4: Utterly brilliant. That's mm. one of my mm. most exciting moments um, in my life when the GB suit... Because I just wanted to have Minchin GBR written on my... Tremendous. <laughs> exactly. Um, so when that arrived, that was absolutely brilliant and we uh, I went to the World Championships in Chicago and there were lots of us. I mean, about, I think there were 400 people in the team. It's not a small team. Um, and it was just fantastic to be part of it and part of the whole gang out there and incredible supporters as well. I fantastic. Well, oh, You'd be glad to hear that yeah. I came last in the team that, that time. <laughs> 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 but I was there. No, I'm
3: incredibly impressed. So, uh, really Dare to Try incredible My incredible. Journey
2: from the BBC Breakfast Sofa to Team GB Triathlete by Louise Minchin is available now. It's published by uh, Bloomsbury. And yes, inspiring stuff. Good to see you, Louise. Thank Thanks you
1: both.
4: In. Thank you very All much. You.
2: Well, Hawksby, Andy Jacobs here on Talk Sport. It's a big question, do you speak football? Because uh, every nation mm. that, uh, that loves football has its kind of own language. And uh, kind of somebody who spotted that, of course, is the author and journalist Tom Williams. He has written the book Do You Speak Football, a glossary of football words and phrases from around the world. Good afternoon, Tom. Good afternoon. What a great, great idea. For yes, a it's, a, it's a sensational idea. I imagine it was pretty research heavy. You had to phone a lot of mates from around the world, and a lot of publications to pull all this
0: together. It was extremely research heavy. Um, and one of the first things that I did before I started researching it was to check that no one else had already done it. Because mm. it seemed such an obvious idea, a football glossary from around the world. But I didn't come across you know, an, another version of Are it, you so I I mean, I speak French. I used to live in France, so I speak French. Um, I tried to learn Portuguese uh, in time for the last World Cup and failed. <laughs> Picked up a few a few scraps of Portuguese. Um, studied Welsh at school until the age of 16, and that's it. So I was very dependent on um, various contributors from different countries um, who helped me who helped me out, and that was. That was a big element of the research, was finding people in all the different countries that I wanted to write about, um, explaining the concept to them and then getting a bit of a dialogue going where they could give me ideas for terms and phrases and I could sort of look into them and try and find out the etymologies and things like that.
2: I think, the, I think probably the best way to, to describe how the book works is to look at England first as the first country and give a, the sort of things you put in there, things like Bambi on Ice, Bounce Back Ability, uh, Bread and Butter, Box to Box, Doing the leads. Uh, down to the bare bones so it's those kind of Wednesday night
0: in Stoke I always thought it was a Tuesday night (laughs) well well, this 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 has this has caused a bit of consternation on Twitter because I always thought is it Wednesday is it Tuesday alliteration
2: there I suppose
0: well the alliteration I found quite pleasing (laughs) and I think it's one of those things that some of the terms in the book Mm. terms similar to this one they you can trace their etymology quite Mm. precisely this fella said this thing at this time and it It became a saying. With this one, this is basically a slightly hackneyed version of something that Andy Gray once said on a Monday Night Football. So there hasn't ever been a definitive version of it. Um but it was interesting doing the chapter on England because going to it I sort of thought, Oh god, I found all these phrases from around the world. Mm. What am I gonna write about from England and, mm. and from the rest of the UK? But you forget how poetic a lot of the phrases we use are just because you hear them so often, you use them so readily. Mm. Even something like bare bones, yeah. which you, you, you hear all the time, oh you know manages Absolutely. down to the bare yeah. bones. If you actually think about what that looks like visually, it's it's quite a striking yeah. it's quite a striking phrase. Now,
2: look, that in itself is fun. So the English stuff that we're all familiar with. But what brings the book to life is the fact you do take us completely around the world and we see all these equivalents. I mean, some are kind of, I think we'll know some things like the Italian ones. Biscotto, biscuit. Uh, Biscotto is the doesn't Italian... Play for
3: um, Barcelona? I think Harry's it? trying to sign him because <laughs> no, he's but... down at the bare bones. <laughs> yeah.
2: Uh, is the Italian name for a result that's alleged to have been agreed in advance to benefit both teams, which feels very Italian anyway, doesn't it?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean and there are I mean I think the book is is on the one hand you have foreign terms that are quite well known and then I've also tried to delve a little bit deeper and mm. you think about Italy I mean Italy's got such a rich uh football lexicon and Terms like biscotto, catanaccio, are things that, that we're familiar with. Yeah, we're
3: with. familiar with that. Um, thanks to Brian Glanville, really. Yeah, thanks, <laughs> thanks to Brian Glanville, yeah, but yeah. But for example, which is on the cover here, young priest, that's, a t- that's the literal translation. It means a talented midfielder who's afraid to get stuck in. It's hard to quite sort
0: of Yeah, that. so it's quite an interesting one. Um, the the great man of letters of Italian football, Gianni Brera, who was the great sort of post-war Italian football journalist, he had this fantastic skill for coming up with nicknames for players and he decided that he didn't like the look of Gianni Rivera who would go on to become the great very stylish British, AC Rivera. Milan playmaker yeah. of the, you know the late sixties, early seventies. Brera wasn't convinced by him, and so he called him Labatino, like the, the young priest, the young monk. And his his meaning was, well, yes, this guy he walks around and you know he he does he does all the beautiful things nicely, and there's something a bit pious about him, but he doesn't break sweat, he doesn't get stuck into tackles. So I'm not having it. That's what I'm going to call him, and and that sort of stuck and clung to Rivera for quite a while in his career, mm. and subsequently was used to describe players with similar characteristics sticks, the sort of player that we've all seen, classy playmaker, Mm. you know, loves loves a killer through pass but rarely puts his foot in. And the,
2: there was another one as well I loved, which was Israel. Who knew that uh, a, a slightly flaky goalkeeper, a goalkeeping error, they call a Bartez over there.
0: Yeah, that was <laughs> that was a real discovery for me. I mean, this this came from a, a contact of mine who's based in Israel, and uh, this is one of the words that they will use to des- to describe a goalkeeping error. They'll describe it as a Bartez, and I think it's just because towards the end of his Man United career, when he went from a pretty accomplished mm. goalkeeper to someone who was letting in embarrassing. Embarrassing goals every couple of weeks, for whatever reason that that struck a chord in Israel, and, and that's now become shorthand for a goalkeeping blunder. Even
3: you've got to Viet- stop talking about Bartis. I just want to kiss you on the head.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Even Vietnam. I mean, you've got. St-
2: You've got stuff from the hit through the hole, term employed when a playmaker sees in threading the path through a narrow gap in an opposition deep. I mean, who did you know the
0: world of Vietnamese football who gives you this sort of stuff? Well, again, this was this was sort of part of part of the challenge. I'm trying to think. Mm. Um, trying to think who it was. I, I was. At, great. Who I found in in Vietnam. But I mean, sometimes it was I'd I'd read an article about Vietnamese football that I'd Googled and I'd find the writer and I'd say, you know, I'm writing mm. this book. And sometimes it'd just be a case of Googling. Vietnamese football journalists reaching out to people, hoping that they that they got the idea that they had the time to help me out with it, um, and then they could you know send me some suggestions.
3: It a lot of work, it's but it's useful. We both said to you before we started the interview, we're taking this to Russia. We say yeah, it's, it's going to be great, a, it's going to be a
2: great source also, of the deal. yeah, good
3: for, for sort of if you want to have some common ground with people that you meet. But some of the words cross over. For example, Armario, which is uh, Spanish for a wardrobe.
2: Yeah, but well, do you know this was Mark Hughes' nickname when he was at Barcelona. <laughs> Yeah, but we, we used to call the, Ed DeCoy
3: the wardrobe. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, it becomes quite, it's quite
0: in English yeah. usage as well. I mean, I sort of think it. one of the things that, that became apparent when I was researching the book was that there's only a finite number of things that happen on a football pitch. And what there are a few examples of in the book are foreign names for things that are quite common. Um, but occasionally you'd come across something that, that didn't have an equivalent name in English, for example, and... um you think about the the skill move that involves a player knocking the ball past an opponent on one side and then running round him to collect it on the other side. You see it in almost every football match you ever watch. We never thought to give it a name in English. Mm. So when it happens, you just have to say, you knocked it past him on one side run around to collect it on the other whereas in France they call it a big bridge in Spain they call it an auto pass like a south pass in Brazil and I think in Portugal as well they call it a cow dribble and the story there (laughs) is supposedly that it comes from informal matches played on scrubland where you might encounter a passing bovine and have to knock the ball past him to, to get around it and yet you know in the UK I think part of it comes from the fact that as the inventors of the sport we didn't bother to name a lot of things because it was yeah. well, it's our sport, you know. Why bother giving names to things? And, and it's, it's other football cultures that came along later and adopted the sport that thought, oh, actually, you know, this thing keeps happening, so why don't we give it a name?
2: I think Germany has the best. Having looked through the book, I think Germany has the maybe because it's the translations that, that make it so good. But, um, relegation ghosts said to haunting, struggling at the wrong end of the table. These phrases they have are fantastic. I ah, um, this Russian one, though. On the second floor, and
3: you 've well, what are you talking about, but it refers to the aerial side of the game. If a team's been conceding a lot of headed goals from set pieces, for example, they might have said they might be said to have problems on the second
2: floor. oh okay, what about that so, um, I mean, these will
0: be useful in Russia don't I'm hoping we, that the I'm hoping that the Russian the Russian phrase will come in handy. There's quite a good Russian one. I don't I think hope it's. Hope you're being e- honest about it, hope
3: so
2: I don't get end up in prison. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> the ultimate so, stitcher, absolutely. The terrible Nigerian weekend. ones were very good as well. I thought um, we could, monkey yanch, which means monkey backside, Shall we say at this time of the day? Yes. Refers yes. to the bruise you're left with after you fall over whilst playing football on a rock hard surface, which is kind of very much of of the country and the sort of yeah, services that I mean guys the guys have
0: to play on. Those were the terms that I really enjoyed finding, mm. terms that could only exist in that country. There's one in Kenya, Kukanyaga Nyoka, which is a Swahili phrase, and it means to step on a snake. And to step on a snake is what happens when a player attempts a shot and misses the ball completely, what we'd call an air shot in yeah. English. Whereas in Kenya, obviously, you're used to encountering snakes much more regularly than we are, and that's the, you know, that's the term that they you, use.
3: You have you know, delved into some really indecipherable languages like Stromash, <laughs> which is Scottish, so of course, <laughs> is famous, isn't it? Venerable uh, sports presenter Arthur Montford, of course. Oh yeah. Do that. So that, that you know, all these Bluter. That's another one. So that's a even good, Scotland that's a good himself, have, you know, quite a lot for themselves
2: yeah. Yeah. The, the Scots have some very good ones don't they As we we did one yesterday with Jim Gubb is another good one Gubbed, which often yes. turns up in Scotland but nowhere else have you got a favourite uh, at all Tom?
0: Um, I've got quite a lot of favourites there's mm. um, there's a Dutch one which means chocolate leg and in Dutch football your chocolate leg is your weaker foot oh, yes. oh. so the example I've given in the book is Iron Robin's right foot if he ever takes a shot with that you'd say that he's used his chocolate leg That's that's one <laughs> um there's one there's another there's a hungarian one for a goalkeeper who flaps at crosses might be described as a butterfly hunter in the images of someone <laughs> sort very, of standing there madly swiping in the air
2: mm. Now, I think the nature of this makes it, I and mean, it's a compliment, it's not always taken as such. It's a great toilet
0: read. People have said this. It's, people have said this. My only fear is that I don't mm. think people read on the toilet as much as they used to because everyone just, you get on the toilet and you get your phone out, don't you, these days? Wow. Well, well, you know, let's, 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 the <laughs> let's bring back the good
2: toilet read. I think we should, it's More it's, hygienic. It's that sort of book, and it is perfect pre World Cup, I think, to kind of get up to speed. So you kind of know, if a, if a particular nation has a bad game, you would almost know what their pundits, what their equivalent of Loro, is saying exactly,
0: really. and what their fans are shouting at the TV.
2: Yeah, fantastic. Well, look, we wish you Very well. With good, it's great. Run, mate, so thanks will be travelling with us certainly to the World Cup.
0: It's uh, Do You Speak uh, Football a Glossary of Football Words and Phrases
2: from Around the World by Tom Williams, and it's published by uh, Bloomsbury and he's uh, out. Kind of nice size, little hardback. You'll sit there on your shelf in your lab. But it's. You know, I'm, not, I'm not saying leave it there forever, but uh, it, 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 yeah, you'll always be picking it up. It's uh, Hawksby and Jacobs here on Talksport. Welcome in, Paul Hawksby. Andy Jacobs here on Talksport. Terry Gibson joins us a little bit later on we look to ahead to the football tonight and indeed the Champions League final, as a Spanish football expert, of course. Uh, and we're going to talk a bit of Newcastle and Sunderland with the Telegraphs man in the northeast, Luke Edwards, uh, and Mark Nicholas with us very shortly. But before that, uh, it's Kolkata Knight Riders versus Chennai Super Kings over on Talksport 2. The match starts at 3:30, but the coverage is underway and uh, watching the game for talk sport this afternoon will be the England and Surrey Spinner. Gareth Batley, good afternoon, Gareth.
0: Good afternoon, man.
2: So, yeah, table toppers, aren't they, uh, yeah, first fourth. Yeah, that should be a decent game.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a mouth-watering encounter. Uh, Calcutta boasts a couple of amazing overseas players, Andre Russell and, and, and Narine, who are just year in, year out wonderful performers, but uh, first year back for a couple of years uh, for CSK, and they're, uh, they've hit their straps underneath... Um, M. S. Dhoni leading them again. Um, Shane Watson in fine form up front, smacking them to all parts. So it, uh, yeah, it looks like it's going to be a heck of a game.
3: It's amazing how these players like Shane Watson can extend their career because I mean he's long gone from Test cricket now, but he's having a great time in the IPL. And Narine, I watched Narayan the other day. Talk about, I think it was the luckiest innings I've ever seen. It was incredible. <laughs> they just, he just managed to unerringly find the gaps between the fielders. It was amazing.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's got a very, very simple technique with the bat. um, And it's something he's developed in the last couple of years. So it's an amazing thing for a guy of his age to develop uh, as a top-order player. But, uh, yeah, Shane Watson, wow, what a performer. Brilliant.
2: Fantastic. Enjoy Enjoy the 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 match. Thanks very much, Gareth. There we are. That's Gareth Batty. And that game gets underway at 3.30. Coverage already underway over on uh, TalkSport 2. a welcome return to the studio now. Is the former cricketer turned broadcaster and uh, author and journalist... It's uh, Mark Nicholas. Good afternoon, Mark. Good to see you.
3: Boys, how are you? Yeah, very good. Always enjoy talking cricket with you. And ah, well, and your wonderful book, which I t- recommend to everybody. It's a love letter to cricket. It's a fabulous book. Has it come out in paperback yet? Uh,
1: yes, it is out in paper. Different cover, actually. Different design, and um, it's it's nice. It's. It's done all right. I, I I can't say it's flown off the shelves in the way that we thought the paper that Mike. So everybody, it's nice and cheap. Get out there.
3: Yeah, no, but it's just a great well, book. If you love cricket, honestly, or you know somebody
2: that loves cricket, it,
3: it is. It's, it, I'm going to sound, you know, too crawly, but I, yeah, I you do I love so. he, he keeps says this, He says this
2: mm. when you're not here. Let's be yeah. he yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> It is a brilliant book. Uh, what
1: about is- that Donny then? I can you believe how well he still plays? How long mm. he's played for, and how high his standards are. And- it's incredible, mm, fantastic. Just yeah. the eye. One the, of my favourite cricketers ever, actually. He's, he's a very a yeah, unique in, in He's a wonderful player to watch. Aren't did I?
2: you did you always feel the IPL was going to be a success, Mark, or did did you have your doubts? Well,
1: well, uh, you've got to remember that when it began, it was clashing with the ICL, and we didn't really know. It was very hard to work out the difference between the two, how mm. they'd be broadcast, who the key figures would be, and how the players would be divided up and it didn't take a second for the IPL to blow the ICL out of the water primarily because it had the you know the BCCI's power BCCI's power behind it that's mm. the border control in India um and once the the it had a miracle which was the first match the, that incredible innings by Brendan McCullum when he mm. made 150 odd and so everybody turned their attention to the IPL the costumes were were remarkable the 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 players the coaches everything was the best of the best right down to the cheerleaders Vijay Malia, um, the guy running Bangalore, he hired the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders, for heaven's sake, flew them over, and had them follow the team round for the whole tournament. Not everybody likes
3: that, though, Mark. It's no, quite, no, but, actually, what, got, but your changed.
1: question was, was it going to be a success? Mm. Yes. Not, whether, not whether everybody liked it. And no, no, yeah. In, in terms of the audience, mm. in, in India, they were fascinated. The cheerleaders were a contentious point, but live at games, they went
3: nuts for them. What's interesting now, I've noticed this season, and I think it's better actually, they've got the two girls and then they've got the sort of comedy bloke that dances between them and they they, kind of, because I've seen women who like cricket complaining about this, it is a bit antiquated, you know, women
1: holding their pom-poms in front of them, you know, and doing Well, particularly in the world that we occupy now, Hmm. I mean, you know, Me Too and all that and very reasonably, so yes, but at the time, within... A week, you could see IPL would be a huge success, given two weeks earlier, you wondered what it was. Yeah. That was the extraordinary thing about it. And, of course, the other miracle in its way was that the only non-captain of those eight sides was Shane Warne, who was captain of the Rajasthan Royals, and they won it. So a non-Indian came in, um, won the tournament and he was the biggest name in cricket outside of India. So if you take mm. Tendulkar and Dhoni probably even ahead of Ganguly and Dravid, I'd say the other two were uh, Lakshman and oh, know, Yuvraj maybe. Um, and there was Warney and Warney goes and wins the tournament. So it had a lot of glamour.
2: You've, uh, I mean, we should talk about Shane Warne. You've written, just written his autobiography with him, is and I'm writing.
1: I'm oh, writing. I've wow. left my desk to be with you guys. Oh. Um, I've got a month to go. I have to deliver the manuscript. Um, um, yeah, Shane Warn's story, as told to me over 35 hours of conversation on tape. Mm. Um, then I it was then transcribed, and then I turned that into a book, told in the first person singular by by Warn, mm. um, and told in his language. I've tried to allow you to hear his voice, to uh, like a stream of consciousness that that. Is is um, loud and clear in Warren's style. People say, "Oh, it'll be very sensational," and will we want to read half of it? And, and I'm like, "No, no. This is this is Warren um, talking about the game he loves, the situations in which he's found himself that have sometimes been very compromising off the field, but everything is related back to." Um, what a special cricketer who's been on the field.
4: Mm, We're sure. talking about
1: one of the five cricketers of the century.
3: Yeah, think, yeah, yeah, that's Western, right. Yeah. So,
4: you
1: know. uh,
3: it's been an incredible winter for cricket, f- starting with the ashes and all the disaster that was for England, really, and then culminating in Sandpaper Gate, and now the 100. It's, it seems cricket is just full of controversy. We should explain
2: if think. people haven't seen what the 100 is. I know you've been writing about this on cricket. Well, yeah, it's actually well, the, the. Hundred, hundred is it? 100. Okay.
1: Um, and the the ECB's idea is their research is alarming um, in that it shows that young people don't follow cricket. Um, uh, only two in ten rate it in their ten favourite sports. Only two in ten.
3: What's Can you believe why, that? That hey, is
1: worrying. That's an alarming figure. Um, Walk down the street, would a would a twelve year old recognise Joe Root? Quite possibly not um and so the research is alarming and then they've gone further i think he's one of his schoolmates (laughs) (laughs) not when he's got that fluffy beard on that, that bum fluff on but um and then go a stage further and and find out how many are playing it and and the answer is um not many though more are playing it in um primary schools than did because of chance chance to shine um and and you you realise that what people want is something different. They they, they want a, a brand new game, an alternative. It involves bat and ball, but not much else. So the ECB have come up with a shorter form that the BBC can use really well. So can Sky. I don't see the problem in that. We want people watching it. We want the you know more people getting getting the chance to find heroes out of the game. Mm. Um, and and it's 100 balls long. And and there's a, a two and a half hour time span that people who's the during which you can hold someone's interest. Um, and so they've come up with a hundred ball tournament that has 15 overs as we know them. And then one, um, if you like killer over or whatever you want to call it, that's, that's 10 balls long. That might be a bit too gimmicky for some people. I don't see the problem you know, they all cricket in Australia always used to be an eight ball over game anyway. So mm. I don't think messing around with one over, I think it quite, quite an interesting dynamic tactically. Now, I've got one grumble. Can I keep talking? Of course. Yes, oh, yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. I've got one it. grumble uh, or one concern is that um, as you keep reducing cricket to the lowest common denominator, so you squeeze it into a game where really only batsmen profit because you simply don't have time to bowl the other side out. And once the balance between bat and ball gets too heavily weighed in favour of one, not the other, mm. you, you change its nature. That mightn't be a bad thing to some people in the modern audience that are after fours and sixes. I would make a slight tweak to the 100-ball game. I would say that a side can only lose seven wickets. So you choose randomly eight guys out of your 11 to bat, and you can choose them as you go along. You don't nominate them. You have a team of 11, but only eight bat, so only seven wickets can be lost. That will leave some reference to not losing your wicket, and some opportunity for the bowler to think it's worth trying to bowl you out. Because if he takes seven, if there's a bit in the pitch and he takes seven, he knocks you over. At the moment, in a 15, 16-over game, you're not going to take 10 wigs. You'll never bowl a side out. So Mm. batsmen play with extra freedom and confidence that makes it even harder. The bowler because they never think their team will be bowled out. Really?
3: That's what's wrong with Duckworth Lewis for mm. the short form 2020. Good points, exactly. Very good points. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, the only thing I'd say is that I love short form cricket. I love 2020, and I think I'll love this. I love any cricket. But it is, I was thinking about this the other day. It's a bit one dimensional. Mm. That thing, you know, where a spin bowler comes in and he's got five people round the bat. You, you'll never see that in in. 2020. You'll never see no, that. You won't, so no. you know that it is no, one. Well, dimension. listen. There's
1: another big job when you when, whether you persevere with 2020 only or whether you turn the new city team franchise talk, which well, it's not a franchise tournament, but a city super league, into um, uh, a hundred ball game. Um, is is you have to promote test cricket harder than it's promoted because test cricket. It still has a a, a natural inherent audience and to create a new audience it has to be seen and understood and heard more and we know that it's now on satellite TV not on uh, terrestrial TV we understand that's a problem it's been a problem since 2005 when it, it was moved that's an existing situation we can moan about it all we want it's the situation that exists so you have to promote the hell out of the game the test match game to make sure people understand when it's on what sort of cricket it is you have to make tickets cheaper There should be a family ticket, there should be free entrance for kids. To me, if you're school age, you have a school certificate, you take it to the ground, you get it for nothing, if there's seats available, etc., etc. There's lots of ways to make test cricket more attractive. It might be time to look at a four-day test match game. It might be time to speed the overs up so there's a greater sense of purpose and energy out there. There's ways to make test cricket attractive and the game needs to react to that. Mm.
2: Mark Nicholas is with us. Um, now, Virat Kohli has been saying he he's looking to come over here, get his eye in uh, for the summer and sorry if Julie obliged. So Virat very Kohli nice. Is, of him. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Stewie. Thank you. for not, <laughs> Sorry again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, Virat Kohli has just signed uh, for sorry for the month of June. So we can get used to our wickets. So sorry. sorry.
1: Um, Hampshire sign all the South Africans.
2: Sorry, <laughs> yeah, sign everybody else. They do. Uh, so we'll talk about that. We'll also talk about the fact that Auss- the Aussies will be here in the summer. Uh, and uh, Justin Langer is a new coach. He'll be with them. I've heard some dissenting voices in Australia saying maybe they should have waited. Uh, we'll get Mark's thoughts on that and talk a bit of uh, England cricket as well. That's all we Four Hawks, Andy Jacobs here on TalkSport, the former cricketer turned uh, journalist, author and broadcaster Mark Nicholas with us in the studio. And uh, Australia announced earlier today that Justin Langer uh, has become the new coach. He'll be coming with the team to England over the summer for that uh, series of one dayers. Uh, I've, I've reading in the age today, Mark. There's a piece by um, uh, Greg Baum. He's saying maybe they could have waited. They could have just muddled through now, waited to all of the inquiry into what happened had gone through and then made their decision a little bit later on. You probably know Justin. I'm sure you know Justin Langer very well. So you're probably well placed to tell us what they're getting and whether you think it's a good call or not.
1: Oh, yeah, very good call. I do know him well. Um, I think he's an excellent call. Outstanding guy. Took to coaching quickly, began as assistant with the Australian team batting, then took over in Western Australia, both, both the Western Australian state side and also the Perth Scorchers in the Big Bash. And uh, he's ex- exceptional. Very. Tight on discipline and values, but very relaxed on playing style. That lovely combination that allows someone to be natural, to be themselves, but also understands that, that within the parameters of making this team work, he's very smart at that. Um, he, he's quite. Um, you know he, he, he's quite altruistic on the baggy green and all that. There was a group of them. Steve War started it with, and there was a group of Hayden, Gilchrist, Langer that you know that were great Steve War men, and the baggy green meant a lot to them. So he pushes that very hard. Um, it's the sort of thing that makes Warney a bit sick because he thinks it's over pushed. He said, "I don't have mm-hmm. to wear a cap to know what playing for Australia means." But, but I think he's an outstanding man. I, I, Greg is a great writer. Greg Baum. I I I, I know him well. Um, in, he works as you said for the. Melbourne age. I wonder why he wants them to weigh. I would have thought the quicker you get clarity, get the right man in yeah. place, and 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 they're coming to England to play five one-day internationals, and you'd have thought they wanted the right bloke here for for that. To, to you see, the team's been through a big mental, big mental trauma. Hmm. What they went through in South Africa was pretty unpleasant, and they need they need uh, you know they're all young guys now. A lot of these one-day players, I think they need a, a solid guy. Pick to run I mean, that side. You've, you've
3: seen it all, man. Uh, were you shocked? I mean, we weren't so much shocked at the fact that they were cheating in Sandpapergate, but as Paul made the point, it was the initial reaction yeah, to it that was that so That first shocking.
2: press conference, which was almost like, no worries, we move on. And it was just this complete lack of understanding about what they'd done. And there was this kind of arrogance almost in that, yeah, this will blow over. This is fine. We're Australia. We're all good. But there was I, I was watching it open-mouthed thinking they've got no idea what they've just done.
1: Well, you, that's the best summary of it I've heard. Mm. You are spot on. Mm. I was there. And I'm like, what? When, when Cameron Bancroft said it wasn't sandpaper, it was a bit of sticky tape that I'd put some granules on.
2: <laughs> what? <laughs>
1: what? You know, you, you were holding it in your hand, mate. We, we could see it, you know. Mm. And, and, and also the way they wheeled him out, like as fodder. And yeah. Steve Smith spoke second. I mean, the captain has to be the captain. The captain goes to press conference. He says, I'm responsible for this. My heads are going to roll, and mine might be one of them. See you tomorrow morning. Yeah. I mean, it was um, the whole thing was unbelievable, wasn't it? Mm. And, you know, I, I I fear for Cameron Bancroft. I, I, he's a kid, and you know, forevermore, when people see him on the street, they're going to think he's the bloke with the sandpaper. I think Steve Smith might get through through this. Mm. Um Warner, I don't know. I think it'd be hard for Warner. He kind of went rogue a bit on the team, so he lost respect from some of the guys. Um, it was a very challenging week. That wow, and uh, you know, an amazing series. Well, some fantastic cricket played mm-hmm. in the series, but to see you know that Australian Australians based so much on on their pride, their national identi- uh, identity, and it comes through sport, and to see it punctured in the way that it was, was really revealing and, and uh, that's why I say those guys, some of them very good guys um, I think Langer's a very good choice and the quicker he gets working with them the better. You
2: sounds like you think he he he's the perfect man to restore the
1: pride I do, mm, I, yeah. I'm certain of it yeah. mm. their managers, their, their, touring man, their team manager, sorry, is a very good bloke, Gavin Dovey, I, I hope they keep him it, I, I think there's a danger he'll be lumped in with what went on there, and, and he's, he's better than that, and he works well with Langer. But Listen, I'm not here to preach what should or shouldn't happen for Australia, but it's funny, isn't it, how we hold a... Warney says in the book, um, the truth is we're all English anyway. And and um and Oh they are when we, they're cheating. Well, yeah. <laughs> well he didn't say it about that. No, no. What he meant was he was talking about the rivalry in the yeah. ashes and he was saying that, you know, deep down there's a great respect. We find we love the English sense mm. of humour, they love our competitiveness yeah. and never say die attitude and um there's a lot of respect and, and and then he said the truth is we're all English you know, we all started out English anyway. Um and, and I think we do have a mutual respect and, and I also think we want very strong international cricket. We don't want a, d- a diminishing of standards, and particularly of Australia's. Mm.
3: It's interesting though that having um, been so poor in the tests, the 50-over side went there and it kind of went under the radar of how well they played and then they went to New Zealand and won 3-2 and they've just been made number one in the world and I mean this is what Bayliss was brought in to do. He hasn't done much of the test team but he's brought in to do this and England must have a chance in the World
1: Cup. Oh yeah, England started as favourites for the World Cup. Um, I, I'd Honestly, I'd be surprised if England didn't win the World Cup. They're a fantastic side. They've got that fantastic blend of everything: of of experience and youth, of leadership, of um, power and touch, of variety, of confidence, but not without arrogance. Now, people say, "Oh, well, we suddenly see them bowled out for a cheap score because they all play a million shots." That's the license that allows them to be the team they are. On the mm-hmm. days that you come unstuck playing that way, the great thing is they go and win the next game and drag the situation back. I think they're a really impressive one-day team. I really like their options. I think mm. you can name a squad of 15 or 16 players and replace all the key players with each of them. They, they've had success with and without Ben Stokes. They, they're definitely, definitely favourites for the World Cup.
2: Um, when's the Warney book out, uh, Mark?
1: Uh, I think it's the first week of October, early early October.
2: Look forward to that. I'm sure some of it will be serialised in the papers. It's, yeah, it could be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yay! <laughs> good good stuff. Uh, and um, if you'd like to pick up a copy of Mark's book, it's uh, a beautiful game, My Love Affair. A love Affair. We're cricking it out in paperback now. Well, good to see you again. Oh, great to see you. I
1: really like coming in and chatting with you guys. Yeah, we will catch Keep up. going, keep doing the great work we all love in the mm-hmm. arbours. <laughs> we
2: will catch up with uh, you again soon. Okay. So there we are. That was this afternoon. Return tomorrow from 1 with Martin Kellner, the clips of the week and all that. Just a reminder that as from next Thursday, the daily podcast will become a weekly podcast. Them upstairs have decided we're tweaking things, we're changing things. Yes. We're, going to get, we're going to get a bumper crop every week in a big dollop, as, a we it, as we call it in, um, in the podcast world. But uh, keep enjoying them daily until then, but from next Thursday, they're weekly. Uh, until then, have a good evening.